What's up and welcome into the Monday edition of the Black and Blue Report presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson here in Studio B on the campus of the Saints and Pelicans, the Auctioner Sports Performance Center, getting you ready for a big week for the Pelicans and the Saints. Pelicans are back home against the Boston Celtics tonight. I feel like this is my first show in a while here in Studio B. It is nice to be home after a tough road trip for New Orleans. 0-3 with losses to the Sixers and the Wizards and the New York Knicks, but still 10-10 overall for the Pelicans, and hopefully they can get back on track against the Celtics tonight. More on that game in just a little bit. Of course, the New Orleans Saints were off this weekend after a huge win over the Falcons on Thanksgiving, Thursday night football. Um, tough loss. I'm not going to go into the LSU game. Just not going to bring it up. Um, everything's been done. Tough loss for them this weekend. But I do want to congratulate the Tulane Green Wave on becoming bowl eligible. How about Willie Fritz in that call? Two-point conversion to win the game. He said, no ties. We're not going to overtime. We're going to take care of this right here. Um, as a Georgia Southern grad, having Willie Fritz before he went to Tulane, transitioned the Georgia Southern Eagles into Division One football and led them to a Sun Belt championship in their first ever bowl win. I am very excited for the Green Wave. I'm very excited for head coach Willie Fritz. And hopefully, let's see what bowl game they get into, as they'll find out probably this next weekend. But congratulations to the Tulane Green Wave and becoming bowl eligible. So as far as the NFC South is concerned, the the Saints have a nice cushy lead right now with five ball games to go. Saints 10 and 1. The Panthers lost to the Seahawks yesterday. They dropped to 6 and 5 after starting 5 and 2 on the season. The Falcons of course lost to the Saints on Thursday night football and the Bucks won yesterday over the 49ers, which means 4 and 7 for both the Bucks and the Falcons. So it looks like there might not even be two teams in to the NFC South as far as the playoffs are concerned after three teams made it last season, but still a lot of football left to be played. And, of course, the Saints are getting ready for their big game against the Dallas Cowboys on Thursday. We'll learn more about the Cowboys from David Hellman of DallasCowboys.com. He's a NOLA native, LSU grad. We've had him on before. He'll have some great insight on what we can expect from the Dallas Cowboys, who have won three games in a the row. They're now 6-5, and five, and who would have thought they're actually leading the NFC East, tied with the Washington Redskins, but just beat the Redskins on Thanksgiving afternoon. And uh, we'll have a big week ahead for them as they take on the Saints. And, of course, we'll talk Pelicans with Jim Eikenhofer of Pelicans.com. He was with me on the road, or I was with him. Either way, um, we'll talk Pelicans and uh, talk about some of the, the woes of the road and also kind of what can we expect tonight as the Pelicans play host to the Boston Celtics. Again, tickets are available for tonight, 504-525-HOOP, or visit Pelicans.com. So, a big show for us today on this Monday. No John DeShazer. We gave him the Monday off as he was on Friday recapping the Saints win. But again, we'll talk Cowboys. We'll talk Pelicans. We'll talk Saints. And that starts right now. This is the Black and Blue Report presented by SeatGeek. Here's Daniel Sellerson. As I mentioned, joining me now is David Hellman, staff writer for DallasCowboys.com, of course, a New Orleans native, also an LSU grad. And David, I know it's good to be home against the New Orleans Saints, but I'm sure you probably missed heading back here to the Big Easy for this ballgame. Yeah, you know, it's the uh, work of the schedule. It's been a few years since the Cowboys have been down there. Um, yeah, it would have been nice to, to get to come home for Thanksgiving, but, uh, you know, I, I have a feeling... Uh, New Orleans is going to be well represented at ATT Stadium on Thursday, so it'll probably feel a lot like the Superdome. I'm sure it will. And David, if I feel like three weeks ago we were talking about this being two teams that are leading their division, you probably would have thought 
I was pretty crazy. What has changed for the Cowboys in these last three weeks that have led to three straight wins? Yeah, uh, you're not kidding. It's been, it's been an interesting month here. Um, I think you probably start with the changes on the offensive line. Uh, the Cowboys fired their offensive line coach during their bye week. Uh, and then just by happenstance, uh, their starting left guard, Connor Williams, got knocked out by injury. Uh, and his replacement, Xavier Suofilo, who's actually uh, a pretty high draft pick a few years ago, has stepped in and, and played fantastically. It's helped the Cowboys' running game get back on track. And then working with that at the same time is the fact that they traded for Amari Cooper, obviously. Uh, you know, if you were watching on Thanksgiving, he had 180 receiving yards. He's really helped open up this passing game. Uh, and, you know, as Zeke has said a dozen times since the trade, uh, you can tell a noticeable difference in how defenses are playing him. So uh, both of those things kind of working in tandem to make life easier on Zeke and Dak Prescott. And uh, they've won three games in a row because of it. I'm glad you mentioned Amari Cooper. That was brought me to my next question about him and what he's brought to this team. I know I think a lot of people are thinking, wow, a first-round pick uh, for Amari Cooper here midway through the season when the team is struggling. Um, did you expect this kind of impact from him, knowing what he was doing in Oakland? Well, I think uh, I think my line when they made the trade was, you better make this kind of impact yeah. uh, because you're giving away a first-round pick, which is obviously – an incredibly steep price, especially, uh, you know, for this Cowboys team, the Cowboys have drafted really, really well in the first round over the last, you know, seven or eight years. So to give up that pick for a guy, uh, you kind of had a feeling that their personnel department had a really, really good idea about what he could do. Uh, You know, I adjusted, I adjusted his stats for a 16 game season the other day. Uh, He's on pace for something like 1300 yards. He's, he has had a noticeable impact in all four of the games that he's played here. So it definitely stings that they're not going to pick in the first round next year. But if he keeps this up, he's only 24 years old. So there's every reason to think that he's going to be a big part of this offense for the foreseeable future. You mentioned how it's opened up the offensive game. Ezekiel Elliott said it when the trade has happened and throughout these last three weeks. But what about for Dak Prescott? Is it kind of taking a little bit of pressure off of him as far as not making too many mistakes and having that kind of weapon that he has now at the wide receiver position? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you followed this team at all in the first eight weeks of the season, he just did not look like the guy that we got used to seeing in the first two seasons of his career. I mean, even in the first eight games of 2017 before Zeke got suspended and Tyron Smith uh, got injured, uh, he was playing fantastically. He looked like he was in route to another Pro Bowl. Uh, then all that stuff happens and he kind of fell apart and it didn't look a lot better at the start of this year. All of a sudden, uh, you add a really dangerous receiving threat. I think defensive, defenses have had to back off. They've had to take guys out of the box to account for Amari Cooper and Cole Beasley. Uh, and these last three games, he has looked like the guy that guided the Cowboys to the playoffs in 2016. I thought uh, his game on Thanksgiving was, I thought, one of the best five or six games of his entire career. And it, it really looks like he found that confidence that he had when he was a rookie. Ezekiel Elliott's also been on a tear for the Cowboys, but also he's carried the ball 68 times in the last three weeks, also has had 18 catches. Is there any concern about Elliott's workload heading into this Thursday night matchup with the Saints? I don't think there's a ton of concern, but I think the Cowboys are paying attention to it. They actually uh, they gave him the day off on Sunday when they started practice for this game. Uh, yeah, he's had 107 touches in the last month. Uh, so they definitely are going to be mindful of that. I think they're going to find ways to keep him fresh during the week. 
Uh, but you know, when it, when it comes time to kick this thing off at the end of the day, he's 24 years old. Uh, he is still a very young running back. And I think they're perfectly comfortable leaning on him as they need to. Uh, looking at your Twitter, you can follow him in at Hellman DC. As far as the offensive line and some of the injuries, or as far as some guys being limited at practice, is there any concern about the offensive line heading into this game against the Saints as far as injuries are concerned? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Zach, Zach Martin's been battling a knee injury all season. I think that's just uh, one of those things that happens in football. I expect him to be ready to play. Uh, Steele is the same way. He knocked his ankle. He sat out of practice yesterday. Uh, but that's something to watch. And then the big one is, is Tyron Smith. He suffered a really, really nasty-looking stinger against Atlanta, uh, what, a week ago. Uh, they thought he would be able to play against Washington on Thanksgiving, but they pulled him at the last second. Uh, so they're hopeful he'll be able to play, but they were hopeful he'd be able to play last week too. So that's definitely something to watch. I mean, he's he's a Pro Bowl caliber tackle when he's healthy. So it would it would definitely be a big impact on this game if he couldn't go. So that's what I would have my eye on. When Ezekiel Elliott was asked about this being a measuring stick game, he kind of played it off as if it's really not for them because he said, you know, any any given Sunday basically as far as these two teams are concerned. Do you feel like, in your opinion, this is a measuring stick game for the Cowboys? Yeah, football players love to say stuff like that. Obviously, you know, Jason Garrett downplays that type of stuff all the time. He's, he's really not interested in giving anybody bulletin board material. But I don't know how you could look at this game and, and think that it's not. You know, the Cowboys have won three in a row. They're going to have to win the majority of their games down the stretch uh, to, to win this division and make the playoffs. You know, probably need at least nine, if not ten wins. Uh, and this is the hottest team in the NFL. I mean, everybody in this league knows exactly what the Saints are doing and, and what they've looked like. Uh, for my money, I think they're the most impressive team in the entire league. So uh, as competitive as pro football players are, you can't look at this game and, and not think that it's a big opportunity to measure yourself. Obviously, you're not going to say that publicly, but uh, I would be shocked if, if they are not dialed in on trying to make a statement against the NFL's hottest team. How crazy is it, David, that besides maybe the Saints, the Rams, you can probably throw in the Bears as well, that the NFC is just so wide open. We thought there'd be a lot more top-heavy NFC teams heading down the stretch here in the playoffs. But if you look at now the wild card chase, even as well as your division chase there in the NFC East, that this thing is so wide open with just a few weeks left. Yeah, I said that yesterday while I was watching these games. You know, I feel, I feel dumb about my preseason analysis because what I said was, and I was like, yeah, I, I think the Cowboys can get them and win, but that might not be good enough when you look around the league because, you know, the Eagles looked like this juggernaut. The Vikings, you know, looked like a, a team that was going to win 12 or more games. Obviously, the Packers are a threat as long as they have Aaron Rodgers. And then you look at those teams in the NFC South that have been good for so long. Uh, so I didn't think nine wins was good enough to get a playoff spot. I should have been looking at it the opposite way because, obviously, if you've been paying attention – the NFC has just been beating itself up. I mean, the Saints and the Rams are the only teams that have been able to really string wins together this entire season. Everybody else is just kind of trading wins and losses. So, yeah, I mean, I never would have guessed it, but it really looks like, you know, from the NFC perspective, it looks like nine wins can get it done, and that's why this game is so important. Cowboys have the lead right now, but that can very quickly go away uh, if the Saints get out of here with a win on Thursday night. So how do the Cowboys get a win on Thursday night against one of the top teams in the NFC or the top team in the NFC? What is one area or maybe a couple areas that the Cowboys really need to hone in on if they want to get this victory on Thursday night? 
Well, there's two things. I mean, you know, uh, they just played the Falcons a week ago, and I know obviously the, the Saints are a little bit better than the Falcons. They swept them, but it's the same type of explosive offense and explosive quarterback. Uh, the Cowboys went into that game determined to to quicken the game up and, and possess the ball. I think they had three eight-minute scoring drives. They really tried to shorten it up. I think that's going to be the same strategy here. I think Cowboys are going to try to run the ball with Zeke, hold on to the ball. You know, they're going to want eight, nine, ten, or even longer play scoring drives. And then the other thing, you know, Drew Brees is going to get his yards. There's just no way around that. Uh, but this Cowboys defense has been really, really good in the red zone. Uh, it's way easier said than done, but if they can force some field goals instead of allowing touchdowns, uh, I think that gives their offense a chance. The Cowboys have only scored 30 points twice this season, so uh, they're not going to win a 45-35 to 35 type of shootout like that Saints-Rams game, Rams game the other day. Uh, they're going to need to keep this thing lower scoring, and that means, like I said, forcing field goals and, and holding on to the football. Easier said than done, but I think that's the blueprint. Absolutely. That's David Hellman, staff writer for DallasCowboys.com. I would follow him on Twitter at HellmanDC. Of course, leading up to Thursday's game against the Saints and the Cowboys should be a good one from AT&T Stadium in Arlington. David, I appreciate the time. Hopefully you can get back home soon here to New Orleans to see your family. But nonetheless, uh, we'll talk to you on Thursday as well and enjoy the game. Absolutely, man. Appreciate it. Thank you all. Let's transition and talk Pelicans here from Studio B as the Pelicans will play host to the Boston Celtics tonight. It's a two-game homestand that ends on Wednesday against those pesky Washington Wizards who the Pelicans saw on this three-game road trip. Joining me now, of course, is Jim Eichenhofer from Pelicans.com. Jim, when's the last time we had a Monday Black and Blue Report here in Studio B? I don't wow. know if we've even had mm. one this season, it feels like. Was it like. September? I don't know. It does feel like it's been forever. Between preseason and the last few weeks, it's, it feels like we've always been on the road on Monday. There may have been a, a home game in there somewhere, but I can't recall it. Jim, I'm thinking we should just not do road games right now, just the way the Pelicans are playing, unfortunately. 2-9 and nine on the road, 8-1 and one at home, and of course a three-game losing streak during this road trip. If you had to pinpoint one thing that kind of stuck out to you in the three losses, what would it be? Definitely defense. It seems like that was the area that was a consistent struggle. Um either for big chunks of games or for entire games on that road trip. It seemed like that was the thing that held them back and prevented them from getting any wins. Um, I thought the help defense was really poor at times, especially in the the first half of the New York game and at various points of the Washington game as well. It just seems like there's times where there's a pick and roll, the other team's running, somebody's getting to the basket, and the other three guys that aren't involved – in the play defensively, none of them are getting over to, you know, even commit a foul. It seems like other teams are getting a lot of uh, baskets that way. And also, another thing that's hurting the defense is the turnovers. Obviously, you don't have Alfred Payton right now, but sometimes the decision making with bad passes is leading to the opposing teams getting runouts or um, layups in transition. And even even if they don't score on fast breaks, I think. In some of the games that we've done on the radio last couple games, I noted um, how many times the Pelicans aren't matched up properly. So you have you end up with mismatches and you end up with bigs guarding um, perimeter players who are quicker than them or vice versa where you're getting posted up. So sometimes all those scramble situations make it really hard to defend. It's hard enough as it is with all the three-point shooting and the spacing that has increased in the league. But when you compound it by making your own mistakes, it's it gets a lot worse. 
Offensively, Alvin Gentry was not afraid to point things out after the loss to Washington about how he feels like the team's playing a little bit selfishly right now. The assists are down in those three losses, and of course, the magic number for him is around 30. The Pelicans heading into the game against Washington, averaging around 27. But Jim, is it just a lack of ball movement? Is it just a lot of isolation plays? What What's up with the offense here in, in some key moments, especially down the stretch in these three games? Yeah, I do think it's both of those things as far as isolation and lack of ball movement. Um, I think, too, anyone who's played basketball on any level, whether it's pickup employee basketball like us or high school or whatever, I think sometimes when you have adversity and you don't play well, teams tend to or players tend to try to play more one-on-one because they're like, okay, well, things aren't going well tonight, so I'm going to be the one that digs us out of this and pulls us out of this um, hole that we're in on the scoreboard. So, But you really have to fight against that. You really can't um, – play more individually when adversity strikes you have to maybe even double down even more on teamwork and moving the ball and making sure you're taking good shots and I also think too that in crunch time it it seems like that's been the case as well where it's been going away from the offense that they're running and going away from the ball movement and your whatever complaints you have about isolation or too much one-on-one play earlier in the game, it seems like in the last three minutes of close games, it's been way worse than it has been in the first 45 minutes of, of a game. Are you calling me a selfish pickup player whenever we play ball here? <laughs> because I'm a no, player, that's dude. not the case. I just, I just want to see. Actually, you know what? I like you sticking to your game. One thing I've always noticed about you is you you hardly ever dribble. You're a spot up guy. So I don't consider you selfish at all. I just think I know that when you're open, you take shots. So I'm not I'm not here to make that accusation. Uh, when I dribble, bad things happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're kind of like a Kyle Korver or, or like a Clay Thompson. I'm sure those are flattering comparisons. That's a very nice comparison. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you don't put the ball on the floor very much. So you could you could have a game where you you know you're like Clay Thompson. You have a game where you make five threes and you only took two dribbles the whole game. So okay, fair enough. I was a even, very efficient score, I would say. I was going to maybe, as far as the shooting, maybe a Trey Young. Not to call him out, but there's a ton of games where he shoots lights out, and then there's a couple <laughs> games where it's just like, woof. And I yeah. feel like, for me, I have a lot more woof games than <laughs> breakout games. But you know what? I appreciate it, Jim. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely – you can you can definitely be streaky, but I'm, I'm the same way. I'm very streaky. Some nights I can't make anything, and some nights I have super confidence or irrational confidence, as I sometimes talk about with – Will McLaren, our P- one of the PR people here. Let's just say, though, when we're on the same team, we're one of the best backcourt duos in the NBA. <laughs> I'll just put that out there. We'll move over yes. McCollum and Lillard and Thompson and Curry. Sallers and Eichenhofer oh, is a go-to. Just, just dominant. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's go back to the Pelicans here. No one wants to hear about us talking about pickup ball we haven't played I'm in sure. a few months. Um, a positive. Let's talk about positives from this road trip, and I feel like a, a solid, consistent player so far has been Julius Randle. We saw it how he stepped up big when Anthony Davis did not play against the 76ers, or no, excuse me, the, the Wizards, and even when AD was out a little bit against the Knicks. But Randall has just been that guy, whether he starts or off the bench, that he's been playing lights out and just playing really good basketball. Yeah, he really has. I mean, he's shooting 56% from the floor. Um, he's made 11 threes this season, which I know he's made that a bigger part of his game. But really most of the damage that he's done has been in the paint, and it's been great to be able to run the offense through him a lot of times, especially when Anthony Davis isn't playing, but even when AD is playing and Randall is in that six-man role. So he's been really good, and um, I think one probably one of the better post-up guys in the league so far. I mean, we don't see it as much across the league as we 
did even five or ten years ago, but he's been punishing, and he's been one of those people that opposing uh, bigs, I'm sure, are not having a lot of fun trying to guard, whether it's trying to keep him from scoring or just the physicality that he always plays with. And for those of you listening right now, we're taping this uh, before Pelicans shoot around, so we don't know the status of Anthony Davis. So, of course, with that being said, Jim, that Julius Randle does play a big piece of that puzzle. It's nice to kind of insert him into the starting lineup when you don't have Anthony Davis because you still have two talented big men in Nikola Mirotic and Julius Randle. Yeah, and I think one of the frustrating parts about not getting wins, especially on the road lately, is that even though you know you, you miss Anthony Davis in a, in a lot of different ways, the offense is hasn't really been a problem. You've been able to produce points pretty regularly. It's just the defensive part of it. And the fact that you've had Julius Randle play really well, as we just talked about, Etwan Moore, I think, has had a fantastic season so far. Drew's been really good. It's just tough to look at the record at 10-10 and 10 because you have other guys that have played well and have been able to step in to different roles and pick up their production that, of Anthony Davis not being in the lineup. But it's just the defensive end. Even when Anthony Davis has played, the you know, I don't think anyone's been, been happy with the defense right now. They're 27th in the league in defensive efficiency. So that's been the tough part, and it's really been what's holding the team back, whether AD's on the court or not. Jim, tonight there are two teams that – are in desperate need of a win. Pelicans on a three-game losing streak. The Celtics have lost four and five, so something's got to give tonight between these two teams. And it's been very surprising to see the Celtics struggle so much, especially because a lot of t- people thought this would be the best team in the Eastern Conference and kind of run away with things just because of you know LeBron going to the West, that mm-hmm. the Celtics were the next team up based on them going to the Eastern Conference Finals without um, Jace or without Gordon Hayward, excuse me. So this is a team that struggled, which has really surprised me. Yeah, I really feel like you know there's still 60 something games left in the season, and that maybe a couple months from now we this we won't be having this conversation that they'll have figured everything out. But I think they're they're a great example of how chemistry is so big in the NBA or so big in basketball that you think, okay, look what they did last year where they made it to the Game Seven of the Eastern Conference Finals against the Cavs. And they didn't have Gordon Hayward. They also didn't have Kyrie Irving at the end of last season because he was out with a knee injury or knee surgery. So you figure, okay, you bring those guys back into the mix, they're going to be even better than they were last year. But the most shocking part to me about their season right now is they're 27th in offense. So as much as the Pelicans have struggled defensively, that, that, that end of the floor for Boston has been really bad. And you would think with the names that they have and the talent that they have that that would be the last thing you would worry about is they have so much scoring, they have so much – individual ability but it just seems like it hasn't come together at all and I think you know there's a couple guys Jalen Brown is one example of a player who his role has had to decrease significantly based on the other guys that have come back he's by the by the end of the playoffs last year everybody was like you know this guy's on his way to being a star maybe or just a really good player but now he's had struggles at the beginning of the season and Hayward has had struggles as far as some of which I think you would expect having with him missing missing him as many games as he did and that injury was so bad but um it's been it's been really surprising to see them struggle this way especially in the east I mean you would think that they there that they would have a much better record than 10 and 10 and I know I think part of it too is that they have played a big chunk of their games against the west so far they haven't had a stretch where they've had an easy schedule but nonetheless I mean it's it's probably the most disappointing team in the league I would say I mean Washington was would be in that category too but people didn't have sky high expectations for the right. Wizards the way they did for the Celtics and Jalen Brown listed as doubtful tonight so we might not even see him for the mm-hmm. Celtics um against the Pelicans at the Smoothie King Center you mentioned the East 
Let's talk about the West a little bit because when me and you said, let's look at the standings right now before we got on this podcast, and I go, Pelicans are eighth? And we were just kind of surprised just based on the fact that they lost three in a row. But, Jim, granted, it's very early. You're a quarter of the way through mm-hmm. the season, but you're three and a half back of one, but you're also one game ahead of being 14th. So one through 14 separated by four and a half games in the in the Western Conference, and your Los Angeles Clippers are one of the top teams in the West, it's it's been kind of wonky here in the first yeah. you know few months here, but it's interesting to see that the Pelicans have struggled, but yet they're still technically in the playoff picture. I would yeah, say. that was that part of it specifically about them being an eighth was really surprising to me because I thought I could be wrong, but I thought at one point they were ninth or tenth a few days ago. So you figure you haven't won since then. So how are you, how did you improve? But I mean, there has been a lot of you know a couple teams have lost a couple games and played more games maybe than the Pelicans in the last few days, but. Anyways, yeah, I remember in in there was a season a couple of years ago where the Pelicans got off to a really slow start, and Elvin Gentry talked about how the good thing is that besides one or two teams, no one's running running away with it. Right now, it's almost like a it's you could almost like reset the season right now because yep. everyone is so close. It's almost in a way like everyone is back to zero and zero. I mean, other than Golden State um, and Denver, and maybe I guess Memphis and OKC are both twelve and seven, but I mean. There's really no hardly any separation between teams, so you could look at it. You could look at it in a negative way in that you're only you know one game ahead of 14th right now if you're in eighth the way the Pelicans are. But you're like you said, they're only they're only three and a half out of first, and they're only say two and a half out of uh, fourth place. So um, it's it's uh it's it's crazy how tight it is right now. But you know. Every team has a chance to drastically improve their position if they can go on a winning streak, and I'm sure that's what the Pelicans would like to do right now. Yeah, and the good news is they are home for two games. You play Boston tonight, and then you play the Washington Wizards, which now you owe them one after Sunday night. And the good news, Jim, is the Pelicans have been really good at home, 8-1 and one this season. Talk about last year how they had the same record on the road as they did at home, and now it's just kind of nice to see that when you come here, you feel like, Every game you have a, a really good chance to win just based on how well they've been playing here at the Smoothie King Center. Definitely, and there's a the stretch is a continuation of playing against a lot of teams that um, don't have good don't have great records right now. But unfortunately, as we saw during this pre- previous trip, um, that doesn't even that doesn't always mean anything. Um, I think one of the things I was disappointed by recently, you know, just quickly going back to the road trip was just that through the first 15, 20, 15-ish games of the regular season, you always were taking care of business against teams that were struggling, but then you just lost to the Knicks and the Wizards, so that kind of went away a little bit. But in terms of the home success, um, being 8-1 and one is is outstanding, and if they can continue to do that, I mean, you got to figure at some point that they're, they'll figure out how to get better on the road and be able to some separation from 500 overall with the with the record that they have. All right, that's Jim Eichenhofer from Pelicans.com. You can follow him at Jim underscore Eichenhofer. Of course, he'll have a shoot-around update for you if you're listening to this before shoot-around is over. And also, he'll have a pregame report with Cindy Robinson before the Pelicans tip off against the Celtics. 7 p.m. tonight at the Smoothie King Center. Tickets are still available at Pelicans.com. And also Wednesday against the Wizards, Pelicans.com is the way to go tickets as well that will do it for today's podcast big thanks to david hellman of the dallas cowboys for talking about cowboys and saints on thursday of course i'm sure sean kelly will have a little bit more on that game on wednesday and uh, we'll talk to you for me we'll talk to you on monday next monday for the black and blue report it will be another one here 
and another game day as the Pelicans next Monday will play host to the Los Angeles Clippers. Okay, see you at the Smoothie King Center tonight. Until then, I'm Daniel Salarson. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans, the Black and Blue Report.